Well, uh, last week, if you were here, I was really out of it. I was, uh, thought it was just like a cold that I had and stuff, and I, I got up here early. Ray was supposed to get, do announcements. I came walking up. I dropped my notes on the floor. I had to sit down during the sermon. I got home. I was still so tired. I couldn't figure out why I was so tired. Uh, and uh, I took a nap right away in my recliner and got up and went to the bathroom. And I'm looking at the counter of the bathroom, and uh, I'm, I, I see there's a, a thing of cough syrup there. And I said to my wife, is this the cough syrup? Uh, you gave me this morning. Now, my wife is an RN, so you would think she knows stuff pretty well, right? And uh, she said, yeah, I, you were coughing last night, so I thought I'd better give you some cough syrup. I said, I showed it to her. It's, it was the nighttime cough syrup. <laughs> I said, you basically gave me generic NyQuil uh, Sunday morning. So uh, <laughs> sorry I was so out of it, but man, I, I thank God we all got through that day together. Well, let me try it one more time, Shay. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, thank you, God, for uh, healing. <laughs> uh, Father, as we talk about uh, your journey, our Lord Jesus, to Jerusalem in the last uh, weeks of your life, pray that you'll be with us and speak to us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Uh, what does he do at the end of his life on earth, Jesus? Where does he go? Who does he talk to? What does he say? I think, you know, last words, last ideas are pretty significant normally for people, and, and uh, we're, we're looking at him. We're doing it in part because this is the time of year we call Lent. It was a time originally designed to give God 10% of the year, a tithe of the year, in special emphasis on our spiritual life. And I hope that you're taking time to, to do that. And in, we looked at uh, Luke 9, uh, 51, uh, when we started this series. And it says that the, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely, go forward one uh, slide, I think, set his, uh, set his uh, out for Jerusalem. The last yellow part there. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So this was very intentional. We went through the map here. He starts way up uh, north by the Sea of Galilee, and he kind of works his way. He tries to go down through Samaria. That gets cut off, so he has to go around through the uh, area along the, the Jordan River Valley there. And he comes down, you know, then through, uh, uh, through Jericho. And here's a, like a, a little bit of a zoom in. Go forward one more. And you'll see we're working now. So we're, now we're in the city of Bethany. Now, Bethany very, is very close to Jerusalem. It's two miles away. And so we're seeing he's, he's really kind of closing in now on the city of Jerusalem. And we take our text today from John chapter 11. I invite you to join me if you have your Bible with you. John 11, starting at verse 17. John 11, 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. You're going to see that that phrase, four days, is repeated several times. We'll talk in a little bit of why that's significant. For four days, he's already been in the grave. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming... She went to meet him. Now, I want you to, to see that Jesus isn't even there yet. 
she just hears that Jesus is coming and she, she goes out to meet him. She meets him, in essence, on his way to the city. But Mary uh, stayed in the house. I'm not sure that May Mary did that for any big reason, except maybe she didn't know Jesus was coming yet. But uh, so Martha is the one. Now, that surprises you because when you read about Mary and Martha in the Bible, I think the average person would say, okay, Mary and Martha, one of them is going to go out and meet Jesus first. Who's it going to be? And who would you guess? Pr probably Mary. But it's actually Martha. And I think sometimes we typecast people too much, you know. We put them in a little box in our thinking. But Martha goes in, and you'll see even something stronger from her in a, in a few moments here. She said to Jesus, uh, verse uh, 21, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would, have, would not have died. I, I, I want you to, to notice uh, a couple of two words in, in, the, in this verse. And the first two words I want you to notice are if only. Uh, if only. If only you had been here. Uh, have you ever had moments like that in your life? Uh, here's another way of saying that. Where were you? Where were you when we needed you? Where were you when we were going through that, that difficult time? Where were you when I was so sick, I was laying on the bathroom floor and I could hardly move, I was feeling so terrible? Where were you when I, I lost my, my loved ones? Where were you when I lost my job? Where were you when I was going through the struggles of life? And, and, and so many of these questions, you'll, you'll see here, where were you? If only you had been here, where were you? And uh, I like the honesty of the question because uh, sometimes we think faith is blind faith and that faith doesn't have a right to ask a difficult question or to say, you know, Jesus, I love you, I trust you, all that stuff, but I got a couple of things here I just don't fully understand. Uh, And I've heard, I've, I feel like as a pastor, you know, for 50 years now, I've heard a hundred or hundreds of them. I don't understand why Jesus is doing this. And I want, I want to be clear on this, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, he never promised us that we would fully understand everything he does and how he does it and why he does it. And that's why it talks about believing and trusting, because there will come up inevitably in your life those questions those, those doubts, those struggles you have to go with. And as you're figuring all of that out in life, uh, it, it sometimes can be difficult. Can you go back one slide for me, though? Because I also want to see down in, in verse uh, uh, 22 there, uh, I think I, I love uh, a couple things Martha says here. You'll see the first word is but, but then it says even now, even now. And I love the even now. She says, you know, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I don't understand why you're doing it. I don't understand why you weren't here. We sent word that Lazarus, your friend, that you love was dying, and you didn't run and get here. We don't understand why you don't jump when we say jump, Jesus. But, but I still believe that even now, He's been dead for four days. Even now, I believe that you could do something. I believe, she says, that God will give you whatever you ask. 
Now let's go forward to uh, verse uh, 23. Uh, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. He makes a prophetic statement here. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. And Jesus uh, tells her, 23, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Uh, if you read John's gospel, one of the things, if you wanted to like start underviewing a key word that John uses again and again and again, you would probably want to underline the word believes. That uh, he keeps coming back to the idea of belief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Belief, uh, believe and be baptized. Belief is so important in the New Testament. And here Jesus says, I am the resurrection. When I say your brother's going to rise again, I'm not just talking about the future. I'm talking in the present tense. He doesn't say I will be the resurrection. He says I am today the resurrection and the life. And who anyone, uh, I'm going to make this easy. So if, you, if you're anyone, don't put your hand up. If you're not anyone, put your hand up. Oh, okay, so that's everybody. Anyone who what? Who believes in me will live. I have officiated in my life over 450 funerals. It's a lot of funerals. <clears throat> I can't think of one where that verse wasn't read or quoted. Because when, when you are, are with people who are losing the most precious person in the world to them, and, and the confidence of the gospel is so desperately needed in that room, there's, there's perhaps no more simple statement than anyone who believes in me is going to live even after dying. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Longfellow wrote, life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. In John's gospel, John presents himself as life. Uh, he talks about it to Nicodemus, uh, you know, he, he is eternal life uh, to the woman at the well. He's the water of life. To the impotent man, he is the quickening life. To the hungry, he's the bread of life. To Jerusalem believers, he's the living water. To the blind man, he's the light of life. And to his sheep, he's the abundant life. And if I asked you to quote a verse from memory that you know in John's gospel, aside from 3.16, many of you would, John, would quote John 14.6. And Jesus uh, says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life. And here he reiterates that again for Martha. And, he's, and Martha, he asks her a question in the next verse. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. I've always believed that, Jesus. We talk a lot about Peter's great affirmation, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. We often ignore that this is, is one of the clearest, most direct statements by a woman in the New Testament acknowledging who Jesus was, that he, I'm not sure there was any woman before Martha who, who acknowledged this, 
that you are, you are the Messiah, the, the Christ, the anointed one. You are, you are not just that, but you are, you are the, the son of God, and you're the one who has come into the world, who's been sent to this world by God. She gives this great statement of faith. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. I, I like uh, one of the other versions says, uh, the master is here and he calls you by name. Uh, I like the intimate feel of that more. Jesus is here, Mary, and he's asked for you by name. He wants you to come. He, he's waiting for you. So immediately, look at that, immediately, she hears that Jesus is there and now she goes out to meet him. Now Jesus, verse 39, uh, had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here. There's that if only again. Uh, somewhere in the discussion among these sisters, there has been a, uh, a recurring statement, if Jesus had been here, this would all be different. But they don't understand where he was. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Now, again, I, I want to tell you, based on a lifetime of Christian experience, you are going to come to those moments where you have that question, why this way? Why this way? I begged you to come. I begged you to do something different. I pleaded with you, and yet you still didn't do what I asked you to do. And you realize a thousand times in your life that God does not jump when you say jump. And God does not necessarily bow to everything, but you have to believe what the Bible teaches, I believe, is that if you could see the end of all things like God could see them, you will understand why he's doing what he's doing then. I remember years ago, my, uh, my brother-in-law, his uh, father worked for years for Kemper Insurance. And Kemper Insurance had a thing that they said, uh, we will never, when you work for Kemper Insurance, we will never let you go. You'll have a lifetime job with us at Kemper Insurance. What they didn't tell you was one day his boss came to him after about 30 years and said, okay, uh, Adam, uh, Adam McKendrick, we're going to change your job and you're going to become the office boy. You're going to stay in the office. You're not going to get any commissions anymore. You're just going to be here maintaining the files and helping support the people on the field. Basically, just a significant loss of income for him. And so Adam uh, said, I, I can't live on that income. I'm going to have to step down from the job. And so he resigned from his job and went home. And as a family, we were all praying. And Adam had been such a great Christian man. They, they uh, came out of the uh, Plymouth Brethren uh, group and extremely devoted, well knowledgeable of the scripture. And he just uh, couldn't figure it all out. And one of his friends asked him out to lunch uh, a week later and said, Adam, uh, what, what happened? He told his friend the story. And his friend said, well, how much were they paying you? 
And what benefits were you getting? And what percentage were you getting? And talked to all that. He says, Adam, I still believe in you. You know so many people in this area. And he said, you know, I have an insurance agency. I'd hire you right now. I'll match every benefit you had. And I'll actually give you a higher percentage on your commissions. And Adam said, it's an awfully hard thing when God has to take your job away to give you a better job. Nobody saw that when Adam lost his job. We were grieving it. We were worried about it. We felt so sorry for this godly man who was going through this time. And God at the bottom had something that we could not have foreseen. You know, it's hard sometimes to trust the Lord, but you have to trust it even when you don't understand. Lord, if only you had been there. Well, the next verse, we have one of the most beautiful pictures of Christ in the New Testament because it says that when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. What was he angry about? Was he angry uh, about, uh, I don't think he was mad at the people. Was he angry about death? Was he angry uh, about all, feeling all the grief and the emotion and it kind of welled up inside of him? He says in the next verse, where have you put him? He asked them, and they told him, Lord, come and see. Then, when he comes to see him, then he weeps. And the word weeping there means uh, the heaving of the chest. This was not just a few tears in his eyes. This was the heaving. This was the, the, the sobbing. This was the heavy crying. Ken Miedema is a blind uh, singer, and he said, uh, if this is not a place uh, as a church, if this is not a place where tears are understood, then where can I go to cry? And we have to be clear with people as a church. We have to be clear that as a church, we welcome you in any season of life you are, and when you are going through grief and loss, don't isolate yourself from us. Trust us enough that we can love you and pray for you and support you through some of the more difficult experiences of your life. So many people just go and lock themselves away and don't get the support that they could get. The reason it talks about the church as a body instead of a business is that churches are organic. They're not businesses. And as, or, as organisms, they're, they're bodies. They function when we each get involved and help and share with each other. And when you're going through a rough time, trust us. Put, put it out there to us. Tell the deacons you need prayer. Tell somebody in the church office you need help. And just see what we can do to help you because we are here and we do care. But you may not know it if you don't give us a chance. I read this quote that more tears are shed over the manufactured tragedies in the movies than in our churches over real issues, over real ones. And it's true, a lot of times uh, a really well-done movie can play with our emotions, but a lot of times we have to, as a church, be sensitive to people who are struggling. In essence, we don't have a we don't have an hour and a half to build up to the big thing to get the emotion out of us. We've got to just kind of go there and realize that there's stuff going on and we need to come alongside our brothers and sisters and help them. And I've got to tell you as a pastor, thank God for you ladies who I've seen time and time again are so good at helping us in, in a church at a time like that. 
thank God for the way that uh, your compassionate hearts are so, uh, so helpful to reach out to people who are suffering and to uh, stand by them and help support them in, in a, a thousand ways I would have never thought of. Um, the people who are standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Now you're going to see two groups of people developing here. Here's one group. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Well, those are kind of two different things, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, uh, healing a blind person is one thing. Uh, raising somebody to keeping somebody alive, isn't that kind of a, a little... But, you know, you always get this. Some people said... Some people said... There's a story about a pastor who got up in church and said, you know, if this church really wanted to, we could soar like eagles. And the church uh, all cried out and said, quack, 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 quack. And he said, you know, but if we're going to soar like eagles, you know, we've got to be faithful to studying God's word. We've got to really devote ourselves. We've got to support the church financially. And some of the people said nothing. And some said quack, 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 quack. And if this church is going to really soar, you know, I've got to do a better job of leading and preaching and everything. Nobody said anything. And they said, and then you've got to do a better job of giving. And you've got to open up your wallets and your checkbooks and you've got to help support the ministries and the work we're doing as a church. And the people in the audience said, quack, 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 quack. <laughs> you know, a lot of times it's simple until you realize it's going to cost you something to really care. It's going to cost you something to be involved. It's going to cost you something to really support the church and, and what we're doing together for Christ. Um, it says that uh, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. The drama's building. Drama's building. Feel the music in the background starting to kind of prepare you a little bit. Uh, as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. Four days again. The smell will be terrible. Everybody is convinced that he's dead. Now, why is the four days significant? Well, because the rabbis taught that the dead can return to the body back and forth like in spirit for the three days after death, but that the, the spirit leaves the body permanently from the fourth day onward, and death is irreversible. You know, why, why in uh, the ancient world a lot of times do they have like a wake, and they would, uh, you know, put the body out of somebody who had died, and you would just kind of wait a few days just to make sure they were really dead. Uh, and that they hadn't just, you know, gone into some kind of a coma or something that they would jump out of. But in, in Jewish theology, when you got to the fourth day, there was no more hope. Why does Jesus come on the fourth day? To absolutely, positively convince everyone in that world that this man was dead. And now what's going to happen? Uh, Jesus responded, verse 40, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? And so they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. He, he acknowledges the power of God right away. 
You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. What's that word again? Believe. I want them to believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Why does he say Lazarus? If he had said, come out, all the dead people would have come out. <laughs> Lazarus, come out. And the dead, now the music crescendo, the dead man came out. His hands and feet, I mean, we're doing like the, his hands and feet were bound. His, his face is still covered. And Jesus said, unwrap him. Let him go. Wow. I mean, can you get this a little bit here, folks? I want you to understand because later on in, chapter, in this chapter, verse 53, it says, because so many people were responding to Jesus, because of this miracle, the Pharisees decided they had to get rid of him. This was the conclusive time when the Jewish leaders decided they needed to kill Jesus. And when the chief priest says, it's better that one person should die than that the whole nation would suffer. Very prophetic statement about how one person saves others. This was such an amazing miracle. I think we've heard it and we have lost the sense of wonder at a dead man four days walking up out of the, the tomb. It says that uh, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. We're going to get to Easter in a couple weeks now, two weeks from today. And one of the differences when Jesus was resurrected, it says that the grave clothes were just lying there. It was as if, you know, he, the spirit came right out of the grave clothes. Now he comes and he's all bound up in all this stuff. Many of the people, notice the word many. What did they do? Third line, what did they do? I want everybody to say it with gusto. Believed in Jesus. I don't think gusto is a biblical word, though, but that's okay. They, they saw this happen, but what does the next verse say? But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. You're kidding me. This guy raises somebody who's dead to life and you, you say, oh man, we got to get, this guy's done something terrible. This guy's done something scary. When we talked about missions today, I've remembered a lot because we're in the month of Ramadan now for the Islamic people. And one of the things I'll never understand about Islam is Islam to this day uh, denies the fact that Jesus ever died on a cross. They, they uh, you know, Muhammad talks about Jesus as a great prophet, but there's 1.5 billion people in this world who will not accept the fact that Jesus actually went to the cross in spite of all the evidence. Many believed some walked away. 
T.S. Eliot says, where is the life that we've lost in the living? I think that's such a great question. But I think the answer is when you're sick, you want a doctor, not a medical book. When you're being sued, you want a lawyer, not a law book. When you face death, you want the Savior, not a doctrine written in a book. In life and in death, he's all you must have. And I go back to verse 25. I'd like you to read it with me right now, would you? Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. What does it mean to believe? Well, you know, Jesus gave you a promise. He says, if you will believe in me, you'll never die. Do you believe the promise? Do you trust the promise? Do you accept the promise? Will you live by the promise? That's what it means to believe it. You affirm it. You say, I will take that. And so I'm not going to be afraid at the moment of death when it comes for me because at the moment of death, I will trust that Jesus will keep the promise he made to me. I want you to know that uh, you are all wonderful, great-looking people, and I cannot see your souls by looking at your faces. I can't tell what's going on inside of you. But I've been around church to know that there are people who come to church who just don't believe it. And I want to beg and plead with you today to believe it. I want to ask you to stake your immortal soul on the fact that Jesus said, if you will believe in me, I will give you life that never ends. And it starts right now when you accept it. I want you to believe that on the day you close your eyes in this world, we will not be grieving. I have a good friend who's a pastor's wife. Her name is Kirsten. And Kirsten is grieving right now because uh, her grandmother died a month ago and her father died this last week. And she had never in her life heard either one of them say anything about a faith or relationship with Jesus Christ. And so now she's got this sense of, well, where is my father at? Where's my grandmother at? They've never once in their life confessed Christ. They've never once said they believe in Jesus. And she feels terribly devastated by it because she doesn't know what the eternal destiny is of the people in her family. And believe me, uh, if, if you have never made a clear statement, this is why I love baptism on Easter, you really should consider making a public statement of your identification with Jesus Christ. If you've never in your life told your people around you, or told the people that care about you that you are a, uh, one who believes that Jesus is who he says he was, you don't have any assurance of salvation. You don't know for sure what's going to happen when this life ends. And you cannot predict. You know, you think, well, I'll wait till I'm really sick and old, then I'll become a Christian. No, you won't. You, it says in, in uh, uh, Proverbs that he who being oftenly, often reproved hardens his heart, and in the end he's cut off without remedy. You'll become so set in your ways, you won't change. And so... I beg and plead, make room for Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. 
And Father, I pray that if there's one here today who hasn't known that for sure, that you would help them right now to just say these words to you. In their thoughts, you know every thought, you're omniscient. God, I, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I want you to know I believe. I believe in Jesus and what he's done for me, and I accept this as my hope for the future. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Everybody's praying. If you prayed that with me, put your hand up right now. Yep, 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 yep. I'm not going to ask you to stand, come forward, anything. I'm going to ask you to just do one thing. Just put your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me as you close. I want to I wanna say today I believe in Jesus. Yeah, thanks. See you in the back. Anyone else? Last call. Father, seal these decisions right now as you promised with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine because his power is at work in us. To him be the glory forever and ever. And together we said, amen. amen. God bless you.